God bless you. you. May be seated. The way that we learned to pray spiritual warfare uh, was uh, either pray or don't survive. Uh, we seem to write after we were born again into the kingdom of God, we begin to experience supernatural things. In fact, uh, uh, it happened right in church one day. In fact, the last service we were in before uh, we moved from Fort Walton Beach back to St. Louis, we'd been going to church about six weeks maybe. I didn't have the Holy Ghost, and uh, something happened that just scared the living daylights out of me. Uh, I could not, uh, toward the end of the this, this Sunday morning service, I couldn't move. I mean, I literally could not move. And uh, I would use all of my effort to move, and as soon as I would move, I would get, I would be froze again. And that happened about three times. I finally decided I have got to get out of here. So I just forced myself up. I went to the vestibule, and as soon as I entered the vestibule, one of the ushers was in the vestibule, and uh, something laid me up against the wall, spread eagle me against the wall, uh, that scared that usher to death. He didn't know what to do. My eyes rolled back in the back of my head. And uh, I don't know how long I was up against the wall, a few minutes or whatever. But from that point on, we have fought against uh, demon spirits and demonic forces. Uh, and uh, we had to learn very early. There weren't any books written about it. There was no black book to tell you what to do. Uh, you just pray. You learn to pray, and you have to deal with it. Uh, but thank God through the years we have uh, we have things written for our benefit, such as the Spiritual Warfare Prayer Book and many other things at our disposal to teach us how we can deal or can, with these spirits. Everyone doesn't seem to uh, encounter those things in their walk with God. Some people never have, uh, and I don't have an explanation for that, but I know that if you're involved in prayer, if you have a prayer life, you're going to you're going to have to deal with demon spirits. <clears throat> and so we're going to talk about that here tonight. I hope that after the last two Bible studies, that things that we've talked about, I hope that you have begun constructing an altar in your life and uh, learning to build yourself up in prayer every single day. It is a daily thing. That's why the mercies of God are new every morning. They're not new once a week or once a month. It's every morning. And uh, also, I want to remind you that it's, it's vital that you keep your prayer life well-rounded and balanced. Uh, you just don't go off the deep end and start just dealing only in spiritual warfare and, and neglect uh, petition, supplication, intercession, uh, devotion, excuse me, intimacy with God, and so on. Trust me, you don't want to do that anyway uh, because it, will, it would lit literally wear you down. There are ministers whose ministry is that, to fight against demon spirits, and they deal uh, with disease and sickness, depression, just a lot of different things uh, because that battle just wears them down physically and emotionally. The most important thing of prayer, if we're going to teach on prayer and and we've done that many times, and I've heard many different Bible studies and sermons on prayer. The most important thing about prayer is to be consistent. We can teach mechanics and what to say in, in the Lord's Prayer, and the book goes into the Lord's Prayer in detail. I don't think we're going to go through that part, but we might. Who knows? But um, you have to be consistent. 
I, I don't think if you want to if you're going to run 10 miles, I don't think you ought to just run 10 miles on Monday and not run any more the rest of the week, and the next Monday run another 10 miles. I don't think that it would be profit you at all if you could even do that. Uh, so be consistent in prayer. Now I'm going to begin uh, to delve into the black book a little bit more than we have thus far. And uh, I'm going to start with 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 8. And here it begins to teach us to drive back every spirit that will destroy. And the connotation, the wording of it is, is should impact us, is drive back. I remember uh, uh, in high school and football practice when two people collided, the person that had the most inertia took the least amount of impact. The other guy took the most amount of impact. <clears throat> and so... Uh, we have to drive back these spirits. First Timothy 2 and 8, well, therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Of course, that goes to some of the things we've already talked about, about being right with God, keeping our heart right with God. We must keep our relationships with one another pure and uh, good relationships because if there's stuff going on between us, then the enemy will uh, take advantage of those things and will use them against us. Pretty soon we begin fighting ourselves instead of fighting against uh, the enemy. And, of course, that would be to our own destruction. First John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Now, since this verse of Scripture was written over 1,900 years ago, and the spirit of Antichrist was in the world then, I think that we should pay attention to what John wrote and realize that now that we are approaching the end of this age, that, that the spirit of Antichrist has uh, been unleashed more today than it was in his day. One of the things I want to mention to you, and this is very important, we're not going to talk a lot about it, but it is really the posture of a soldier, and that is to be on the offense and not the, the defense. If you've studied the, the uh, First and Second World War, uh, when the world was on defense, they were losing. As soon as they went on offense, they pushed the enemy back, and they won the war. It's the same way in our spiritual lives. You cannot live a joyful, vibrant Christian life when you are on defense. Now, there are times when we must defend. We have to defend when we are assaulted or attacked, but very quickly we need to turn the tables. There's something in sports that is well-known term, and it's momentum. And we have all watched a baseball game. It, more, it happens more in football than anything. I could care less about basketball. Don't want to offend anybody here, but never could get excited about watching basketball. But the momentum on a football field changes, and I mean it is incredible what happens. And the same thing will happen in your spiritual life. When you seize the momentum on the battlefield, the momentum in your spiritual life. 
This is important for a number of reasons, uh, one of which is uh, when you're always on defense, when you're always defending your position, you never gain any new ground spiritually. You're always in the same place. You know, I, I mean, to never, win, to never win a battle, to never gain any new territory, to never go forward, I, I just can't even imagine what kind of a life that that would be. But that's the way it is if you're always on defense. Uh, if you're always on defense, think about this, you will always be subject to something other than God. Because that thing that you're defending against, that entity, controls your attention, controls your progress, controls so many things in your lives. And so we want to get from a defensive posture into an offensive posture. So never make any headway or substantial headway in your walk with God uh, causes something else. It is demoralizing. And one of the, one of the weapons of the enemy is to uh, demoralize us, to make us feel defeated, and eventually, I mean, give up. What's the use? What's, you know, why even try? And then we become spiritually apathetic, and of course, then the enemy has won. That's his victory. When we stop praying, we stop pushing, we stop believing God for a great outpouring of the Holy Ghost, we stop fasting and seeking after God. So if you want to advance spiritually, <clears throat> you must go on the offense. You must uh, put on the armor of God and push back against the darkness that pervades our city and our world. You have to invade the devil's territory. It's just as, it's as simple as that. You have to become the invaders. But I, I, I'm as comfortable But this but there's nothing really too bad happening in my life. Yeah, I know. That's what the enemy wants, for us to become comfortable and leave him alone so he can destroy people with drugs and alcohol and sexual perversion and so on. Romans 13, 12 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Of course, that's talking about uh, coming out of darkness, casting off the works of darkness in our own lives, and living a righteous life, but you can't resist the devil. You can't fight against demonic forces with sin in your life. You just can't do it. You, we have to get right with God. You have to cast off the works of darkness uh, and then put on the armor of light if you're going to invade the darkness. You have to accept the fact, you have to believe in the fact that you're a blood-bought child of God. You've received the Holy Ghost. You've received power when you receive the Holy Ghost. And so when you pray, you pray with confidence and you pray believing that God's going to give you the victory. You pray believing that these, these things are going to obey you when you speak to them and against them. The victory virtually has been won through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. So there can be... <clears throat> Excuse me, and I stress this, there can be no doubt. There can be no unbelief. There can be no depression. Now, I was fine all day. Everything was just great. And on the way to church, it's just like a wave of depression came over me. And I'm glad for pre-service prayer because I got to plead the blood and beat that spirit up and come out from under that cloud. Some of you have been under that cloud for so long, you don't even know what it's like. 
It's a spirit. It's a spirit, and we're going to talk about how to deal with these things. Uh, hopefully, we're going to get to that tonight because I think it's very important. And so we mentioned to you, if you remember, <clears throat> the carnality is the food of devils. And we're all carnal. I mean, that's why we have to fast and pray and crucify the flesh. You never reach a place where you're elevated above that. But we all have certain carnal propensities. Yours may be different than mine, but we all have them. We're all plagued with these things. And so there can be no wrath. There can be no hatred. You've, we have to get rid of that. We have to pray these things out. There can be no jealousy, no envy, no hatred. None of these things can exist among us. Uh, there can be no hard feelings, you, no, no unforgiveness. We have to win that battle in our own heart, in our own spirit, before we're really going to be effective in resisting demon spirits and fighting against principalities and power. So as you drive back these spirits, don't just drive them back. Reach for the Spirit of God. The, the Reach for the Holy Ghost. Reach for an opportunity. I think one of the greatest, the greatest, I enjoy this almost more than anything, dancing in the Spirit when the devil's watching. Go ahead and watch. This is how much power you have over us. This is how much authority you have over us. You say, but you're going through hell. doesn't matter. Jesus is still my Lord, my God. He's worthy. And you need, to, you need to glean satisfaction from that. So reach for God's spirit. Enjoy praying in the Holy Ghost. It's not all here against the devil. So let God's anointing wash over you. When you're praying spiritual warfare prayer, there is that inertia, that anointing. We talked about that, I think, last Thursday night, uh, but we want to be anointed in worship and praise and in uh, devotion and adoration to God as well. John 10.10 10 says, really reveals the purpose of uh, the devil. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So we know why the devil comes. He's going to either steal, kill, or destroy. One of the three things. That's, that's what he does. That's his purpose. And so uh, he can only do this, he can only accomplish this by lying to people and by deceiving people. I mean, he, you know, he, that's his weapon is lies and deceit. And so if I recall, the Bible says that our heart is pretty deceptive. We don't, we don't need the devil to deceive us. Our heart will do that ourselves because, bless God, we're always right. And so we're willing to die on that hill of being right. What I'm saying is we need to understand how the enemy works. We need to learn his devices so that they are not effective among us. So when you drive back these spirits, by driving them back, you diminish their ability to work. <clears throat> it's like putting a ball of chain on somebody. They can't run very far or very fast with a ball and chain around their ankle. Uh, when we bind spirits, we're going we're gonna to get into that, uh, and, and we resist devils. They don't leave. They don't just go somewhere else. But we, we disable them so that they are ineffective, so that they cannot work, so that they have to release the people that they have bound. That's what we're doing when we're praying spiritual warfare prayer. The Word of God speaks about a compendium of angels. And so we're going to talk about warfare praying uh, involving angels. Uh, there are all kinds of different 
angels in the kingdom of God and in the realm of God's creation. Uh, one thing I know <clears throat> is if you want to learn about angels, don't go to the internet. <laughs> Trust me in that. Maybe you already have. And, and don't think you're going to go on Amazon and try to buy some books about it either. If you want to learn about angels, go to the Word of God. That's where you're going to learn about angels. And we'll explain that a little bit more in a moment. But I would rather you have a fascination with God than with angels. Uh, there's just so much false and inaccurate information out there about angels. Angels are, have actually be, been deified within the New Age movement, and we want to steer clear of those things. So the Bible doesn't give us a lot of information about angels. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we don't make stuff up that isn't really true or that we don't even know to be true. Because once you get into that, then, you know, it's wide open. False doctrine, deception, delusion, and anything else that comes along with that. So the only source we have concerning angels is the Word of God absolute truth and I'd rather stay on that ground and have question marks than go over here on this ground get rid of the question marks and be uh, deluded by things that are not true <clears throat> so angels are a major part of the new age theology uh, I knew a guy uh, when I was at West Coast Insulation in the hurricane shutter division and he was one of the salesmen in a company over in Miami and I spent quite a bit of time with him, and he used to, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what he called that, he would leave his body, and his spirit would travel, I, I forget what it's called, there's a name for it, no, it's no, it something different than that, uh, but anyway, uh, he was into all that stuff, and he actually believed he could leave his body, and go out and travel, and he used to run into famous people, and he'd see them through the Run, flying through space and everything, and uh, I, I hope he's still doing that. He probably, if he is, uh, well, he needs God, right? There are seven divisions of angels, seven basic divisions of angels. We're going to learn something about devils as we're learning about angels. So let's talk about them a little bit here tonight. 2 Corinthians 10 and 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. 2 Peter 2, 11, whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them, that's demon spirits, fallen angels before the Lord. So to start with, make it, make it very clear to everyone, we do not, everybody say, do not, we do not pray to angels. Ever. Never. We don't call upon angels. Anything you pray to, you deify. And so we do not pray. There's no precedence in the Word of God where anybody prayed to angels. Having said that, angels appeared to people. You've read your Bible. Angels appeared to men for specific purposes and at very specific times, and so they had conversations with angels. If you're wondering, no, I have never 
had a conversation with an angel. Now, I've sensed their presence at times. There was one service we were in. I knew there were angels standing along both of these walls. God revealed it to me. I couldn't see them, but I, I know they were there. I never spoke to them. I never attended to them. They're there, going to do what they're going to do. And if they want to talk to me, then I'll talk back to them. Other than that, uh, I will not speak to an angel. So if an angel appears uh, and does speak to you, how can you know that it's an angel or a demon spirit? Anybody? Shoulders are shrugging just like mine. An angel appears to you because the devil can transform himself, the Bible says this, into an angel of light. So if an angel appears to you, how are you going to know if it's a fallen angel or a good angel? I don't know if it's true or not. I heard years ago a Mormon guy told me this. I don't know if he was right or not, but he said that in the Mormon church, that if an angel appears to you, they're taught to reach out your hand and shake their hand. And if they shake your hand, they're an angel. If they don't shake your hand, they're a devil. <laughs> what chapter and verse of the Book of Mormon did you get that out of? Silly stuff, right? But, uh, of course, I, I don't recommend you try that. Uh, but... In the event that an angel does appear to you, how will you know if it's an angel or a demon spirit? First of all, very simply, you'll know because every hair on the back of your neck will stand up if it's a devil. Because you have the Holy Ghost. You have the Spirit of God in you. And when a contrary spirit, you know you've, you've already experienced this. When you're around someone with a contrary spirit or when you're someplace where there's a contrary spirit, you know it. You sense it. So you don't have to worry about it. I don't know what the odds are that it ever, ever would happen that an angel would appear to you anyway, but um, you will know because of the Spirit of God that is in you. There's another way we will know. It's called the gift of discerning of spirits. John talked about try their spirits, talking about the spirit of people now, to see whether they are of God or not. If they manifest the spirit of righteousness and the spirit of truth, or if they manifest a spirit of hatred, our spirit of false doctrine. And so, since we don't pray to angels, we also do not command them. We do not give them orders. We do not tell them what to do. We do not tell them uh, where we want them to go. Uh, there, again, is no biblical precedence for that. So, only God commands angels. Only God can command angels. Now, we may ask the Lord, to send angels. I, I do, I want to say every morning, but if it, maybe I'll miss one or two somewhere along the way, but every morning I pray that God will send angels to our gatekeepers. If you think you can keep the gates without angels, you're mistaken. I mean, the, the devil doesn't drive down 75 and come through gate number one, Charlotte County, when you enter into Lake County. No, we, we just, simp that's a symbolic gate is all that is. You realize that, right? Angels fly through the air. Demons fly through the air, too. So uh, we need angels. So I ask God to send angels to guard the gates of our city with us. Now, we got enough devils we don't need anymore. I I'm serious about that. I'm not being funny. We don't need anymore. 
We, we have to stop. We have to stand on the wall and keep them from calling for reinforcements. So we can, we can try to halt the cultural transition that's taken place in our own city. And it is happening. So we ask the Lord to send or dispatch angels. Then it is to his discretion whether he will or whether he won't. But that's what they're there for. So first of all, there's mighty angels. Exodus 33, 2, and I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now, that's interesting to me because when the children of Israel crossed over in, uh, into Canaan land and began to seize the land that God had promised to Abraham, God sent an angel that was already pushing people out, already tormenting the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites before the army of Israel ever got there. You have to understand that that's what the angels do. So we're not just out there on an island by ourselves praying against these things. God is going to send us divine assistance, divine help. He wants us to win this war and to win this battle. Revelation 10 and 1, and I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. That's the way that John described these angels. These are heaven's warriors. These are soldier angels. These are God's fighters. And, and since the function or purpose of angels differ, then angels, in my own mind, again, it, it's in my thinking, they must come in different sizes. They're made for different purposes. Just like people are made for different purposes. They come in all shapes and sizes. Demon spirits must come in different sizes. These are warring angels, mighty angels. And so they're built for that. They're made for that. They've been created for that purpose. So when you pray, the black book gives us some advice. Pray that God with the help of mighty angels, that you will be able to bind the prince of your city. Now, the prince is a, a demon spirit that is in authority over other demon spirits. He controls a certain area. So he is a very powerful spirit. See, there are, there are echelons of authority and power in the demonic kingdom, just like there is in the military. There's privates and sergeants and master sergeants and, and there's lieutenants and colonels and, and so on and generals and four-star generals. When you're praying against the prince of, of, of the city, he's over all this other stuff going on, you have to realize you're up against a formidable uh, foe. And so we need God to send us angels so that we are not just fighting this battle by ourselves. We need to come against the evil that is trying to destroy our city. I said to you, I, don't, I think it might have been last week, but America is becoming the Sodom and Gomorrah of the world. And I'm going to say this to you, and you can take it any way you want. Don't let Hollywood tell you what you watch and what you're going to be entertained by. Because Hollywood is the Sodom and Gomorrah of America. We need to stop this. This is spreading in our own city like wildfire. And it's a spiritual thing, and we need to come against it to destroy it. We need God to help us. We need to pray things like let the economy flourish. Gentlemen, when you're walking downtown, you need to pray that. Let the economy flourish. Pray the, for the, the businesses and, and pray for uh, the city and, and so on. Uh, 
pray that angels will stand at the gates of our city. Then there's guardian angels. Luke 22, 43, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Psalms 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. And we're not aware of these angels that are there, but they are there. They don't make themselves known. They don't tap us on the shoulder and uh, remind us that they are there. But God has sent these guardian angels uh, to protect the saints of God. When you pray for missionaries, pray that the angels of God will camp round about them because missionaries uh, are on a foreign field. I pray for Lexi every day that, that she has an angel with her, angel of protection. Uh, so use this, uh, the black book to help you here. We, we release these angels on to new converts, new converts that are trying to come into the kingdom of God and break, break loose from the world that they've lived in all their lives. They need angelic help for them to survive. Pray, angels, go with our children to school. See, that's silly. No, it's not silly. Pray that angels uh, protect their mind, put a hand up when they're trying to teach them this junk and sex education. It, I just read somewhere today that they're handing out condoms to, to uh, third graders now. I mean, what in the world is going on in our world? Uh, but this is the stuff that we are up against. Pray that angels uh, will protect our ministries and our ministers and our pastor and his family. We need to release these angels through prayer. God, send them uh, for the purpose for which they have been created. Then, of course, there's ministering angels. Hebrews 1.14, they're not all ministering spirits. Are they not all ministering spirits? And forth the minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So these angels minister to the needs of God's people. You know, we've seen it in the Bible Elijah was, was uh, ministered to by an angel. And many of prophets were ministered to by angels. Romans 8, 26 and 27, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not why we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I believe... Let me tell you what I believe, that the prayer of intercession may involve the release of angels. You say, well, why do you believe that? Because when we are praying uh, in the Spirit, we're praying in tongues, we're praying with groanings that cannot be uttered. The Spirit of God is praying through us, and God is the one that releases and sends these angels forth. This may be the most powerful form of prayer because now God will send these angels wherever he wants them to go. And he does so when we are interceding through the Spirit. So release uh, uh, these angels through asking God to send them uh, to all different places and to people. <clears throat> There's elect angels. Acts 2.11, when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know assuredly that the Lord has sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Now, that was a case where Peter spoke to an angel. It's because the angel was standing right there. The angel loosed him from his bonds. Peter was sleeping between four quaternions of soldiers in deep in the prison. <clears throat> and uh, he was set for execution, would have been executed, but the people were praying. 
So God sent this angel into the prison. Wake up, Peter. You got to get out of here. Peter saw the angel, spoke to the angel. The angel took him by the hand, just like the angel angels took a lot and his family by the hand, led them out of, out of Sodom. Those were angels. And uh, led Peter out of the prison. Once he got stepped into the street out of the prison, the angel was gone. Didn't need the angel anymore. And so this is an example of where someone saw an angel, spoke with an angel, and an angel performed an act of deliverance. I have heard so many stories from missionaries on the field. Just, I mean, just things only happened because angels were right there. And uh, they're real. Then there's archangels. First Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. First mentions the voice of the archangel. Jude 1.9, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. There's no clear description of archangels in the Bible, but the common belief within the apostolic community is that there were three archangels in God's creation, in his created order. There was Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. Of course, Lucifer rebelled and was cast out of heaven. Lucifer was the angel of light. He was in charge of worship. That's why he hates it when you worship God, because he used to do that. Uh, Now, there are people that believe that there are, some people believe there are 12, there are 16. They even got names for them. I don't know where the names come from, but they got names for them. But all we know from the Word of God is that there were three archangels. Now there's two. Gabriel is one of those archangels. He's a messenger angel. Uh, he's mentioned just four times in the scriptures, uh, twice to Daniel and once to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and then once to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He appeared in a dream to Joseph. He's not mentioned it by name, but he appeared in a dream to Joseph and uh, kind of straightened Joseph, the husband, the future husband of Mary, out concerning the fact that she was with child of the Holy Ghost. So each appearance of these archangels seemed to have to do with prophetic events. Uh, also, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says that the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice, that voice of the archangel. And I think it's at least pertinent to mention that it doesn't say an archangel, but the archangel. Uh, so it appears that they're used prophetically in respect to uh, end-time prophecy, the coming of the Lord, and so on. Then there's cherubims. I find cherubims one of the most interesting of angels. And uh, uh, Genesis 3.24 says, He drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims, plural, and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Cherubims are protectors of God's holiness. They're found uh, in the building of the tabernacle, Exodus 25, 18, and thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall you make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, 
and their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. In Psalms 99 and 1, the Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims. Let the earth be moved. He's speaking of where he seated himself <clears throat> over the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat in the holiest of holies. Now, one of the reasons I find them very interesting and intriguing is because the children of Israel were commanded to not make a graven image of anything, anything. We have, you know, things all around the house, fish here, this thing here, that thing there. But they were commanded to not make anything like that because there was uh, uh, polytheism. The worship of many gods were so prevalent that, that they were afraid they were worshiping. In fact, God was right because when God sent uh, serpents in to bite the people because they had sinned, Moses made a brazen serpent, put it up on a pole. Anybody that was bitten looked at that serpent, and they would be healed of the venom that had been injected into them. The only problem with that, they ended up worshiping that brazen serpent and brought even greater judgment upon them. But now there's, there's he said, make two cherubims. Now, you wonder why he would do that, right? Well, they were out of sight. The only person that saw them was the high priest once a year. And when, when the, uh, the tribe of Levi that was responsible for moving the tabernacle from one place to another, they would lay the curtain over the cherubims and over the Ark of the Covenant and, the, and, and so on. They never even seen it with their own eyes. It was always covered. But that's cherubims. Then there's seraphims. And uh, unless I'm missing something, the only two I can figure out that we know for sure has wings are cherubims and seraphims. I don't see, unless, again, unless you can show me, I might have missed it, that archangels have wings, but I haven't found that yet. Uh, then there's seraphims, of course. He said, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Seraphims are angels in charge of... Uh, of worship and praise are in charge of restoring, reviving, in charge of salvation. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 2, and above it stood the seraphims that's above the throne. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. And with twain he did fly. Verse 6, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand. See, we, we, we can only learn the purpose of these angels by seeing what they did in the word of God. These seraphims were used to take a coal from the, from the altar before God's throne, lay it on Isaiah's lips to cleanse his lips. Uh, so we see a little bit of purpose there concerning what they are for. <clears throat> now, warfare prayer, I, I don't have a lot of time left tonight, but warfare prayer involves binding and loosing. Uh, I did a I did an extensive search one time, uh, when deep research about binding, and I could not find anywhere where Jesus bound spirits, where he personally bound spirits. The terminology, I bind you. I could not find anywhere in the Bible, and I, I, I studied this for, for some time, and I began to question whether we should bind spirits. And one of the things that, that came out of that study and that research is um, 
<clears throat> Jesus told Peter, he said, you know, Satan desires to sift you as wheat. But he says, I prayed for you. Why don't you just bind that devil? Why don't you just bind him? No, Peter, you're going to have to face, uh, you're going to face him. And uh, you're going to have to win on your own. You're going to have to deal with this on your own. Many different times, and, and Jesus never bound these spirits. He cast them out, but I can't see that he bound them. However, uh, we have been given the authority to bind spirits. Now, binding is not, I know you think in your mind, tie, pe- tie them up, you know, tie and gag them, put them in a corner somewhere. That's not the kind of binding that, that the Bible talks about. Binding is forbidding or prohibiting. Binding is, is uh, diminishing the ability of these spirits to do what they are doing in people's lives and in our community and in our families. Loosing is permitting. Loosing is giving permission or loosing people. And we're going to get into this in detail. If you're going to, if you're going to bind something, you have to loose something after you bind something. <clears throat> it's very important. Matthew 18, 18, Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's very powerful. It goes beyond the aspect of spiritual warfare. It's talking about we have the authority to baptize people in water in the name of Jesus, and their sins are going to be remitted. We have that authority to do that. We have the authority to loose people from spiritual change, emotional change, chains. Again, again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Why don't you stand with me because I don't want to. I, I don't want to go too much over what we normally do here. Uh, but I really feel the Holy Ghost right now. I, I really didn't intend to talk about it, but I, I want to close with this. Musicians, you can join me on the platform. Um, it doesn't profit us to fight against demon spirits if we can't get along among ourselves. So in the same breath as he's talking about having the authority and power to bind and loose, <clears throat> if we're not in agreement, if we're not in one mind and one accord, then we're not going to be very successful in trying to deal with uh, principalities and powers. Not to mention the fact that if I have hatred, that's an open door for the Spirit to come in among us. Now, it might be my hatred personally. It might be my personal weakness and flaw to, to have hatred in my heart. But you can bet on this. The devil will take advantage of that. Not only that, it spreads. It's contagious. You understand what I'm saying? So if we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. We've got to get all, all, all the junk out of us. We've got to get all this junk out of us. 
And it comes from prayer. It's awful hard to condemn your brother and sister when you're weeping in the spirit in prayer, praying for people. And I believe that God wants us to know this, that uh, we have the power to bind and loose. But it's just just silly to think that I can bind spirits through the authority of the name of Jesus Christ and through the power of the blood of the Lamb of God. And at the same time, with my spirit and my attitude and my pride and my envy and my jealousy and any of the, all the other junk within me, that I can also bind my brothers and sisters. Somebody said, with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know if I've ever said this before, but I honestly believe that some people are so inebriated on the power of the Holy Ghost that it goes to their head. And they overexert themselves in ways and in places where they don't belong. So I really feel like we need God to help us to rekindle a love one for another. I'm supposed to make some comments and stuff at Christie's wedding. I can't even believe it's two weeks from Saturday. She'll no longer be Sister Jones. But anyway, I Lord's been dealing with me about love. Two people get married because they love each other. And it's interesting, there's one kind of love the Bible doesn't talk very much about. It's marital love. Marital love. Oh, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives, yeah. But marital love. So many kinds of love. I want you to close your eyes as they begin to lead us in worship. I want you to sincerely say, God, help me to love my brothers and my sisters. Help me to love the lost, Jesus. They may be the some of the ugliest part of humanity, but give me a love for the lost. Jesus, we need you to help us to love because if we can't get this, if we can't get this, then all of our binding and loosing will be for naught. Give us a love for people. Give us a love for the hurting. Give us a love for the drifting, the backslider. Give us a love for backsliders, Jesus. They've fallen off the path somewhere in life. Uh-huh. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on. Give us a love, Jesus. Go ahead, just sing it. 